Welcome to DaVinci's Discourse, where the minds of today's most innovative entrepreneurs are unveiled and explored. And my name is Kyle Campbell, your guide on this journey into the depths of the entrepreneurial psyche. So sit back, relax, and get ready to dive into the minds of the greats. This is DaVinci's Discourse. Welcome, and today we've got Vinny Fisher, and uh, he's a former tax and business lawyer turned full-time entrepreneur in 2007. He's the founder of Fully Accountable. And that's an innovative accounting firm. He's the author of the best, the best investment, a better you. He's the host of the Total CEO podcast and recognized for leadership with multiple Inc. Five Thousand awards. So, dude, happy to have you here, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Kyle. It's a pleasure, dude. So, tell me about yourself, man. What do you do? Oh, you know, it's funny. I'm I I am known and thankfully for successfully building business. You know, I've really, uh, you know, I'm on our fourth eight figure enterprise. And, um, you know, I, I think my secret weapon has been my laziness. Ah, um, yes. <laughs> and so I, uh, I'm highly creative. I see a problem, see a solution, see a growth strategy. I'm like a, what some people would diagnose a high quick start zero to one type person. Oh yeah. In my laziness, I realize I'm not a one to 10 in any category. And my level of improvement falls in that zero to one category. So what I got really good at early on in my business career was spotting people who are talented that want to be with zero to ones, mm. but want to thrive in being a one to 10. And so and when I look at the secret to my success, it's been multiplying leadership. Multiplying leadership. Interesting. Yeah, man. I feel like that's a huge pattern with entrepreneurs is they're one to fives, but you got to partner up with a five to 10 or one to 10. So you can have that, that cohesion, that synergy. Um, when it comes to that, dude, uh, you know, you, you said you create leaders. Um, how does that, uh, how does that work? How would one go? Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I, it's a great question. So I was thinking about that because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to write a, an article about this. I just, my heart was on this subject just this morning and um, it, it's, it's, there's some intentionality to multiplication. You know, it's funny. I took a trip to Asia, just a quick story. And I was Deb and I, my wife, we were there and they value age way differently than we do here in North America. And so there's a competition between being older with the younger people and you have this drive. So like I'm 53 now and I've had some success and built some teams and, you know, the, the way the marketplace works, it says, oh, Vin, you're not done. You're not dead. Go be your 38 year old version of yourself. And there's this tension between a young person and an old person and kind of, and I think when you take that across age parameters, that's true of like um, success and responsibility stuff. There's this tension of the entrepreneur that like, it's yours, it's your baby. And then it's like this handoff to people who are running it. And then there's this tension of who has the checkbook and who has the responsibility. And so the way I've like successfully navigated that is it started with, I believe in a farm system over free agency. Now I like them both. What I mean by that is I grow people up. So how do I grow them up? Well, I've always had an attitude of interns and younger people. I believe you can er learn competence pretty quickly. I think that the effort and the attitude and the ability are the matrix that I hire under. And so what I do, for, here's like that little three-point checklist that I would do. Are you somebody that speaks in language that sounds like the right use of I and we? In other words, I take responsibility for what we're not doing as an organization. And we 
celebrate what we can get done as a team. And are you somebody who has a right relationship to that? I would pay attention to your language because if you are, have that reversed and it's more about I'm the genie behind the curtain and it's always about me. And even if I feel that way and I struggle with some of that language, I would say that you're more self-centered than team-centered. And it's a thing that can be changed. Actually, I went through that change. The next thing is um, micro versus like macro thinking. So for that, me, that would be look like when someone would come into my office, I'm highly creative, I'm a marketer kind of, and they would ask my opinion about something. I found myself having micro conversations where I would answer for them. I had a good friend say to me, Vin, you know, if you started macro thinking, force them to have an opinion, you could mm. develop critical thinking. And so the whole thing around my organization is you can't come into Vinny's office without like a little book or a pad or a pen because I don't want to remember our conversation and then email it to you. I want you to have an opinion. I want you to take some risk. So mm. teaching people how to critically think and have ability for opinions. And then the final one is my, my own rule in our company is the 70% rule. Can you do it well enough to where it's like 70% of what I would do so that I can get out of the way and give you room to go try things? And I think if you practice those three things, you can be intentional about giving people room to grow in your organization. Mm, yeah, fascinating, man. I love it. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your companies then? Because you've got a few different avenues because you are uh, somebody who's talented in multifaceted ways. So tell me about you know what uh, what what you're focused on right now. Yeah, so I own a company called Fully Accountable. It provides a full fractional outsourced CFO and accounting solution to uh, North America, you know, in the uh, tech, e-commerce, uh, tech-enabled space. By the way, full disclosure, I'm not even qualified to do any of that job. I've never logged into QuickBooks. I saw a problem, high transactions, set out to solve it. I stepped down as our CEO in August of 23. Uh, and promoted uh, this dynamic uh, lady who was our COO and is now our CEO, and she's doing amazing. We have a, about 120 people on that team, but I eat my own dog food, right? I've, she can, there are certain parts of, of, of getting dirt under your fingernails that need to happen, and you don't get that from a different role. So she wanted the role more than I wanted the role. And mm. so excited about that, growing that. It sets the stage for the next phase of growth for that company. I also am an investor. Like I built things or I come along as a growth strategist where people want me involved in their organization. So I'm a, I was a larger minority shareholder. We let someone else buy into it, but I'm a minority shareholder in a health company called Pinnacle Brands and, and direct response education plus product to the 45 plus crowd. I was involved in tech. So I, we recently uh, sold off a, a tech solution we had in the email space. So I'm centering down my species. And then, you know, I'm launching a new brand called Beyond Your Shadow. It's all about equipping leadership multiplication, everything we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll launch that brand in 24. Right on, man. Dude, I want to get into the direct response a little bit because that's yeah. what stuck out to me in what you just said. Um, What's the preferred medium that you like to stick with? Or is it a total of, uh, you know, like, do you do direct mail in terms of um, direct mail and online kind of synergies or uh, what uh, what kind of direct response do you do? Yeah, so it, I I actually do not have any channel, channel envy. Well, I try not to at least, um, but I, I believe in the channel is the most relevant to where the customer is. So, right. yeah. you know, uh, I've obviously made most of my bones in direct response. My couple exits were there. Uh, I love, I'm absolutely love direct response. It's, huh. it's in my blood. Um, 
Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of where traffic is. And so wherever that is, is where I am. If I want to buy media in native, we'll buy it there. So we have a media buying team. If we want to use email and use affiliate networks, I that's where I first cut my teeth was getting other people's traffic. Uh, and then whatever social channel of flavor, it really depends on where the consumer is. So if I want to sell to younger people, I'm not in Facebook, right? Because younger people are not in Facebook. And if I want to sell to older people, uh, I'm probably struggling in things like TikTok. Yeah, right. Okay, I got you. And so it comes down to the, the market and the pain points that they're they're struggling with. And you that's you right. That. Where their eyeballs are, right? And right. What's the cost of uh, right. internally and eyeballs externally? To pay attention. Literally, yeah, literally the eyeballs in terms of what platform they're on, and then also internally what they're looking at and what they're feeling, what what's going on. Uh, you know, there's that saying in the Robert Collier letter book: it's uh, enter the conversation that's already going on in their minds. Nice. And when you do that, right? Because then you've got the direct response that's going to have that market to message match. Yeah, yeah, man. So I totally feel that way. I I live my mantra by I'm a growth strategist. I like always think about growing a business, and that's okay. kind of like what I enjoy doing. And so I'm always struggling more with gross revenue than net revenue. That's why I built some net revenue companies to help me with that. But I'm always engaging in the customer because you, like, I love that, get in their head, right? So I'm a big fan of like the Robert Cialdini's of the world, right? Oh, Who yeah. would say like persuasion or yeah, yeah. things things like that. So I, I, I'm I always an addict, uh, Kyle, for those things. So that's I great. love it, man. I love it. So dude, let's get into what you're doing right now and how you're using your direct response skill and talent and passion towards growing your, your current uh, project that you're working on. Because you just wrote yeah. a book on it relatively recently, right? I've written three. So I wrote uh, the one you referenced in the opening, uh, The Best Investment, Better You. And then when I broke my biggest business to date, and then what would I do again? I wrote a book called The CEO's Mindset about yeah. how to actually build out. So think on the beginning phase of what you would do to build out uh, the block and tackle of how to build a business in the six areas, right? And then, you know, I seem to be a cleansing writer. I wrote False Prophets, and that's what uh, is behind uh, the genesis of Fully Accountable. And it's uh, it's not the top line that pays you. So I had this journey of of learning about like how net revenue or margin matters a lot. And uh, I'm great at growing revenue. I wasn't as great at keeping it. And so thankful mm. to the last 10 years of my life to have really transformed that part of the journey. And now we're in the middle of our fourth book and our fourth book is uh, Beyond Your Shadow and it's how to in, uh, equip, acquire uh, and multiply leadership teams. I love it, dude. Yeah, see, you make that differentiation right there. Um, so what I'm curious about is let's say that you're starting a company like you're doing yep. right now with your, your, your current project. And I'm wondering what your first, where does your mind go in terms of, uh, how you're going to start marketing this, this, this project, um, you go to where the people are, the pain points, what's going on in their head right now. And then what do you do to actually get some, some traction going so that you've got some, you know, customers ready to, to pay you some money. Where does your mind go and how do you know what to start with? You know, and I think it's different based on what it is you're selling. So um, in, in that particular instance, uh, that's going to be education with books, speaking engagements, my time. So I don't need to practice as much way I would launch as I would my, let's say, a product company if I was going to sell um, a pen or a bottle of water or a bottle of uh, health supplements, just to name examples. I would test way differently um, how I would 
uh, get my offer to convert. And so yeah. uh, for me on this, since it's all um, book sales and um, teaching and education, my organic plan will be way more in depth than my paid plan. But if I was launching a product, because you can micro buy traffic, you can really fine tune your offer. Mm. I would very quickly uh, buy micro traffic to fine tune my offer. So depending on right. what it is in this particular instance, since it's brand management and it's about the deliverable of, of, of our message, it'll all be organic, right? Lots of content, lots of targeted content, LinkedIn, YouTube, our email list that our house we built up off of my name, um, and a lot of organic stuff. So go win the SEO strategy and then like nine months from now, look like an overnight success. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so it'll be very organic. If again, if I was pushing product right away, I would want to be micro testing uh, very quickly how to spend some money and make sure my offer is converting. Right. So you're starting with the paid ads. So you can see, you can test the message, test the headlines, test what the market is going to respond to. And then once you've got those micro tests done, then you're going to the, the grander scheme of it, which is the, the organic way. Now you mentioned that. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's a, you know, it's a sound strategy. What about the, the SEO end of it? Um, is that your, your, where your mind goes to when you think about organic traffic? No, I just know that like when people are looking for things and you know, the basics of, of the Googles out there haven't changed, right? They prioritize user engagement. And so if I can spend some intentional effort and, and, and line up keywords, which is just the search terms that people are looking for, but the relevance of what I'm talking about, my buying of ads will only be better because I will populate more of the page. Now, most people don't invest in SEO because it's expensive. And you know, it's like the gym. If you don't put a few months in, you don't see the results. And so most people bail on SEO real fast because mm. they try to treat it like paid. And so I think anything that's organic, that's going to last a little longer, right? One of the secrets of why Fully Accountable does so well on acquiring the customer on search is we own so many first page positions for very, very competitive terms in accounting. And we it's because we've right from the beginning of invested in organic SEO. And it just plays so nice now with pay mm. that, you know, it's nice to have five of the positions on the first page, not just one of them. No kidding, man. What are some other organic methods that you're, you're pumping out right now? Cause we've got SEO. Uh, we've got the, the paid ads that we went into a little bit in terms of the, the micro ads. So you can start testing the message and getting it out there, making sure that it's market to message match. What about the, um, uh, other organic methods. I'm a big fan of wherever audiences are, Kyle. So right. to me, so it depends on the, there the product, are, where the audience is, what they are, wherever the audiences are. It's yeah, always, right. I'm, I'm at least consistent about that. So for me, if I'm launching something like, so for example, I just announced on your show that we're writing a book called beyond your shadow. So what I'll do is we start to get in even within the realm of the view of what the chapters are going to look like. I'll start to do things like go on more podcasts. I'll go and uh, maybe even do a guest writing on someone else's stuff. See, lots of people spend so much energy creating their own audience instead of taking advantages of the audiences that they're invited into. So I've been an affiliate from the minute go. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I've, I like taking advantage of everyone else's audiences mm. and helping 
serve your audience. I'm on your show because I want to help your audience and whatever your audience needs. It's obvious you love direct response. So here we are talking about that. Well, when that starts to play out and I'll come back and if our audience loves even one little thing we've said, well, it just creates more of a footprint for us mm. to have more ears and eyeballs. Um, and so I always go after other people's audiences. So podcast, guest writing, things that take time, but um, can have a longer effect on your dollar. Yeah, dude, what you're talking about are strategic partnerships, right? I mean, I'm a right. huge fan of strategic partnerships. Um, Jay Abraham's been a, a massive uh, influencer in terms of uh, how influencing how I think about strategic partnerships. Um, it's it's funny you say that. He and I were just talking about that the other day. Jay is a friend. And, uh, yep, we're friends. And uh, I was nice. a few Saturdays ago, so I was supposed to speak for something at something of his, and we got crossed up and jay can run a little long on stuff sorry jay it's true, but that happened and so but jay's absolutely amazing at strategic partnerships right you know I've, I've learned most of my my i mean if not from jay directly from people who learned it from jay right yeah uh, he's like the og when it comes to that kind of stuff yeah he's really good at it and he's funny and the thing we're doing he's like Vinny, we got to do this together he's already the funny thing is people who are like him already think about what other projects you can do together Right. Yes. Your mind goes there automatically. Now, how do yep. you know who to partner with? Like, let's say you're, you're launching a new product. Um, what, do, what are your first steps? How do you think about um, going about finding the strategic partnerships that will have the target audience that you're already looking for? Uh, how do you know who to So I think audience with? is a big deal, right? So I think we sometimes we can uh, partner with people just for affinity because we like them. But I think it's I think there's got to be a relevance to the audience. Right. You know, in the early days, I would have been the one looking for audience. So I would have been like, it's a, like anyone who was willing to let me be around right. their audience. I was yeah. like, would have done whatever I can to trade emails. And even though I only had two emails and they had more than two, like <laughs> it was that kind of relationship as time moved along and I bring more to the table. Um, I probably look for connections. Like, do we line up on some of our core values? Like mm, would our audience appreciate the things we speak about such that we're willing to share those with each other. So I probably got a little pickier and, um, things that are just beyond access to an audience and I care about like, do we, you know, I don't know that I practice completely the Google test. Like, can we spend three hours on a plane together? But like, do we at least align on some things that are both of our audiences will appreciate that we're trying to partner together? Right. Okay. So what about tactically speaking? How do you go about finding these folks? Like, let's say you're at the beginning of your career. You don't have the, yep. the, the, the power, the influence, the, the experience, and also the um, the affinity that you've got with so many individuals right now. Let's say you're starting at the beginning. First of all, how, where would you start? And then where would you, um, uh, how do you know, first of all, who to partner with, who, how, who to reach out to? And yeah, then so a few guys in my life, they've always reminded me of some things that I love. And uh, one of them is a guy named Roland Frazier. And yeah. another one, interestingly, was his former partner, a guy named Perry Belcher. Love these guys, right? They're my buddies. Huh. And they would say, both of them, a different version of the same thing I'm about to say. People love to speak about one subject. It's themselves. themselves yeah. And so what can I do to create a situation? If I want to get in someone's inbox or get mm. someone's attention or is don't, if you notice today, like in LinkedIn or wherever people like say they want to connect with you, but it's a disguised scale sales call where they want you right. to send them business. Right. People yeah. need to reverse that. Networking oh. is it, um, who, you know, it's who knows you. 
And I think we got networking wrong. And so what can you do to go first? And so going first is super important in networking. So um, if I want to get to know somebody, for example, Jay Abraham, like, like I wanted to get to know him better than just a role and introduction. And so I went first, I did some stuff for him. I uh, wrote an email and shouted out the audience on something he was doing with no expectation of something in return. Mm. And then when I reached out to him, he's like, Hey, Finn, that was really nice. You did that promotion for me. Can I send you an affiliate link or blah, blah, blah. No, Jay, I just love the stuff you're doing keep doing what you're doing well i deposited some money in our relationship and so i would say if all you have is no leverage of something you bring to the table well then make it about the person you're trying to connect with don't make it about yourself so early on what would i do i i uh bang the phone and want to interview somebody and it would look like this it'd be like hey kyle i hear you're really good at having a show and I, I don't, I, I want to know more about that. I really want to hear your story of how you did it. I'm hopefully wanted to do it. But when I look at what you're doing, I'd love to interview you. I'll even write an article about it and post it up there. But I want to know more about your story. Almost mm. nobody says no to that. If it's really with general genuineness focused on that person. It's when it looks like that you got two minutes to collaborate and see how we can work together. That sounds like a waste of time. Right. Interesting. Because you're not looking at it in terms of value prop ahead of the game. You're looking at it as, okay, maybe I can get something from this person. And so you're, you're starting off on the opposite end of that teeter totter. Um, what about the message that I sent you, man? Because we're starting off the the conversation, you and I, the relationship with you and I now, the same way that you're talking about. I mean, uh, I didn't come in um, trying to to get something from you in terms of uh, any, any ulterior. Perfect example, or- man. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cause you know, I just, you said, said Hey Vinny, I love what you're doing you to an audience. Yeah. Yep. I love what you're doing. I, I think your message resonates with my people that we have an audience. I'd like to get to know you better. Let's start that with being on the show. It was a frictionless approach yeah. to getting to know each other better. And then I made it more frictional than you could have in, by canceling on you once or twice and <laughs> twice. actually. So sorry about that. But, um, but you made it easy for me to say yes. Right. Interesting. And so how do you know how to make it easy for people to say yes? You know, what are the things that go in terms of uh, how you think about that? Uh, let's see. I think it's like no different than my marriage, no different than ah, my interesting. friends. Okay. Okay. I, I think if you go into it with an agenda for yourself, you've right. got the equation all wrong. Right. I think yes. that a little bit of humility goes a long way in this space where if mm. you, and, and honestly, I, I'm telling my kids this in, in addition to the people on our teams, can you have a longer perspective so mm-hmm. I think if you have a short perspective, it looks like let's collab. If you have a longer spe- perspective, it looks like what you did. Hey, I'll take a risk. There's some people who like Vinny. I've heard some stuff about him. I looked him up. I've seen some of his shows. Let's have him on the show. Yeah. And then maybe something can birth from there. That's a longer perspective. You didn't ask for anything up front other than my time, which is time. expensive. But but yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but you did it in a way that like, hey, I have a show. I'm willing to do that. Yeah. A lot of people turn on a show and 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 allow someone to talk about themselves, um, and and it, it would do that. And so I think right away, if it looks like you're trying to get something out of it, you got the equation all wrong, or you're the equation honestly is probably right. It's just too fast and it's too short in your thinking. Right. Go, mm. Ryan Dice said to me once, you know, we need to make more deposits than withdrawals in our relationships. And yeah. I think when stuff looks like a withdrawal right from the beginning, you went too fast. Right. I mean, there's no capital in there to withdraw. So, you know, so you're, 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 you're fishing from a, from a, a dry well, you know what I mean? So it's, that's there's, right. There's, a, there's yep. no water in there at the point. Um, nothing to withdraw. That's an interesting way of looking at that. Uh, let's say somebody reaches out to you. How do you know when you're going to reply to them? Most of the time I don't reply. And so, yeah. because most of the time people will do exactly what we're when discussing. They yeah. have 
not done a great job of thinking long-term. They yeah. just immediately want to have a collab call. So mm. I stopped a number of years ago doing these five, 10 minute, let's catch up. Those are super expensive calls. And for the most part, are a massive waste of time. If you want to get to know somebody, they should do what you did. Hey, Vinny, I'd love to have you on the show. We're not like, let's see if there's synergies to get together and figure each other out. Yeah, well, yeah. that's just fishing. And so I stopped doing fishing. As a matter of fact, if someone, even someone I might know in my life says, hey, I'd like to get five or 10 minutes of your time. Here's a bit of advice for you people who are trying to manage your calendar better. Manage your calendar better. That's number one. Two, mm. here's a way to manage your calendar better. Ask someone what they want to do at that time. Mm. They almost always disappear because they haven't thought through how to use your time. And so that you've done them a huge favor by protecting their own time because they're wasting both of your times. Interesting. So let me ask you then, what do you want to accomplish in this hour conversation here? Aside from promoting your new book that's coming up, right? Yeah. You know, like um, I, I'm a, I'm at a phase in my career where I want to get a message out and right. I want to get a message out in a way that would absolutely do two things. One, help the listener right? Be beneficial, encouraging, uplifting to those who are hearing according to their needs. So I want them to hear something that's been proven by, you know, dirt under the fingernails, wisdom, not just knowledge. Um, and then I know that if I do the work, writing, showing up on shows, that it increases that influence. So my goal would be to increase influence and take advantage of the invitation to do that. Wow, man. I love that. Yeah. You, you're a really long-term thinker. I can tell it comes off of you. Um, what about in terms of how do you know what value to provide to these folks? Because let's say you don't have a podcast, you don't have an audience and you, all you're trying to do is you're trying to be helpful to people that could ultimately uh, form some sort of synergy that you're not going into it with some sort of ulterior motive. But if it happens, then it could happen. That could be naturally happening. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the podcast and I want to let you know that I've got a free book that you can get if you want to tap into more of these resources and you can get that for free at kylesbook.com. Back to the podcast. Um, how do you know what value to provide to people when you're reaching out and having these conversations? So I think it first starts with like who you are as a person. So I know the first thing I need to do for Kyle is to show up and be an engaged uh, guest on his show so that the people who are listening invested their time, took some risk with Kyle and we gave him a good show. That's the primary obligation that you and I have. It's the lawyer in me, by the way, who ah, says yes. it's like the quid pro quo of our relationship should be such that I delivered at the level of my reputation with high character, good character, because you can have good, bad character too. Can I deliver with good character my obligation of being an ever-present show host? Now, I don't really believe in like, uh, peddling an offer. I just, it's not my style. The, the, it, it can be done and there's the right settings for it, but I always believe in showing up with guests, gifts. So I want to uh, mm. be helpful. So I always show up with a gift. So I built an entire gift system for podcasts. So at our company, fullyaccountable.com forward slash gift, in this case, podcast gifts, podcast gifts. You get there any way you want, listener. We have a free uh, thing for you. We, our books are free. Our audios are free. Mm. Our How to actually operate your business with KPIs are all free. How to make some good tax decisions. It's all there for you. I want one thing in return, your email address, because you yes. got to get it somehow delivered to you. Yes. And so you're always wanting to deliver gifts because we believe that if you go first, uh, people don't feel threatened that you're trying to sell something to them. And then when they need us later, they'll raise their hand. 
Well, you can tell that you, you actually eat your own pudding because you go on your website and every single page, bam, give me your email address. It comes out. It is the number one thing that comes up yeah. on every single page. And I loved that when I saw that. I was like, hell yeah, man, we got some direct response going on. That's what I'm talking about, baby. Uh, got to have a call to action. It's almost criminal yeah. not to. If you right. do direct criminal response, for you, you and for them, right? Action. Criminal for both uh, parties. Yeah, no kidding, dude. Um, what about in terms of what you've brought in from the lawyer career that you had in terms of... Uh, um, having these joint ventures and how you look at marketing from a lawyer's perspective, what are some ways that you differ in terms of how you look at things as opposed to how the general marketer would? You know, there's two things. I really, that's a great question, Kyle, by the way, I, I appreciate that. I don't get a question like that very often because it requires an answer that um, a lot of people struggle with. Lawyers are taught to understand the other side of an argument so right. that they can ah. make their argument better. And so um in my core, I was a debater before I was a lawyer. It's just a personality. I'm like the when you take all those tests, yeah. I would show up as a debater. Yeah, ENTP, baby. Category. Me too. Enneagram. Me too, by the way. Yeah, ENTP. Okay. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I would yeah, show up debater. like that. Yeah. As I got healthier in life and started dealing with core wounds in my heart and my own journey of faith and understanding where I sit in the entire continuum of life in the world and, and, and my own journey and all that. I started to like really appreciate that people come at things with different perspectives. Mm -hmm. The debater in me unhealthy would say, I just knew that because I wanted to win the argument. The right. more healthy version of me is being able to appreciate different perspectives. And so uh, that's probably the biggest thing I bring to the table is the ability to, as a lawyer, like see different perspectives. I'm a quite good negotiator. Uh, and as a result of that, it's because I, I, I find uh, common ground. So looking at it from the other person's point of view and then structuring yep. messaging based around what's already going on in their mind. Like That's right. said. What's the second yep. thing that was the second thing that you've brought in from the lawyer career over to your marketing? You said there were two. Uh, so I learned about myself that um, while I'm around amazingly smart people like you and others who expose that I'm not as smart as y'all, I am actually tenacious. I have a gear. Mm. I don't give up. Mm. And so as a result of that, I had to learn something about my personality. It actually doesn't fit well into that. I didn't early on uh, like open loops. So if you and I had gotten in an argument, I, as the peace uh, maker in me, I would need to settle that real quickly in order to continue in the day. Right. I realized that um, uh, conflict um, is actually can be quite healthy. And so I can, I've learned to work through more of the process of conflict than resolve it too quickly. Right. So instead of ignoring that conflict and well, doing your best to, and it's on on your mind, uh, with, what comes to mind with that is objection handling. Um, how are you going to yeah. snap objections when they come up in terms of a sales situation? For that, you first of all need to have the empathy to know what objection is going to come up, especially in marketing, right? When we don't have a one-to-one -one sales situation where you're actually looking at it in terms of what you're, you're, you're predicting what their objections are going to yeah. be before they go into it. So you, it takes a lot of empathy to be able to do that, right? Um, what do you think about, uh, like, how do you you know what objections are going to come up in terms of a marketing strategy and how do you how do you structure your campaigns around that uh, i think you got to get to know the customer right yeah, and man. so you got to know their problems you don't have to i don't know how to have to run an accounting firm to know the problems that an entrepreneur has with their back yes, office of the right. company i just have to look in the mirror and remember my fear of losing customers the shoe dropping right. no one paying attention our inventory disappearing or having the worst of all running out of money and mm. so um, that 
that's the core fear of an entrepreneur. Well, I know those things because I live mm-hmm. them and I am that person. And so when I know that stuff, I can way speak to uh, the customer better. And honestly, that's you just learned the secret of my leadership. It's high emotional equivalent. It's like the empathy of like wanting to do well on someone's team. Well, yeah. I just speak to them like that, right? And so since I've learned to not avoid conflict, we practice versions of our and my faith is important to me. So we practice a very radical form of honesty in our organization. So it's like, mm. we are going to work through the tough stuff because we're in it together instead of you just work for me. Right. And that goes back to marketing too, being ultimately honest because an honest marketer is, uh, it can go either way, obviously, just like anything. But the way I think about it is the the old Volkswagen advertisement where it's like, mm. uh, think small, you know, it's uh, the, you're, you're being honest about your product and you're actually going yeah. counter to what the, the general market is, is doing and what everybody else is doing in terms of competition. Um, you know, it's fascinating. Ultimately- well, in the early days, you know, that point about value proposition in the early days, I was just a poor kid. All I wanted to do was make money. I didn't care what I sold you. I just wanted to sell you. Yeah. And it was amazing to me when I realized I could create something valuable and help more people and still make a bunch of money. When that all went together, the idea of a value proposition light bulb went on. Right, man. I love that. Yeah. So I want to get into that. How did you know, how did you go from being a lawyer to not being an accountant to, to starting accounting software? You looked at it in terms of what is a problem in the marketplace that I've got the answer to. And you thought about it and you said, well, entrepreneurs need a solution to, to the things X, Y, and Z that you just pointed out. And you've, you've decided to come up with a solution. Now it's so interesting that you came up with an accounting software when you're not, yeah. right? So how do right. you know what problem to start solving? Well, I wanted to solve, I had a, a mid eight figure. We do about 40, yeah, 45 million in revenue in my uh, company called Consumer's Choice. We sold that back in the day, but that I, I was completely invisible on my bottom line. I didn't know how, like any given time, how much money I had sitting in the bank. A lot of transactions rolling right. through our merchants account. So I was generally exposed to not knowing like if we, if we closed out the day, how much money we had and a lot of affiliates, a lot of different channels. And I want, I asked my CFO, like, can we have that stuff? He's like, well, like we can have it like in a few weeks from now. And I remember being really offended about like not knowing if I bled to death today. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, gosh. And so I went in the marketplace to see if there's something out there that we could have that. And this was before technology is caught up and it didn't exist. And so I, I'm like, man, I need to solve this problem. So if you look at my history, most of the problems I'm solving are mine first. Right. And so I went out to solve the idea of being able to close this fancy little thing called a PL statement every day. Mm. And I do that. Can I know such the deposits in my bank? You know, in this point, we had like three or $4 million a month going through our bank accounts. Could I know every day, like where I sit with cash and who I owe money to? And we started creating what we call a daily balance report. And all it was, was logging into our banks and logging into our merchant accounts and logging into our track and like getting a good general gauge. Well, thankfully technology is caught up where we can do that literally real time. And so it's amazing. Our software does that, but it was this problem for me. I started solving it. And then we started making more margin on the bottom of our company, even before we sold it. And my buddies were like, Hey dude, that's like, you're talking about different things. Things are better. And it occurred to me, I'm like, I built this for myself. And I jokingly said to my business partner now, who wasn't my partner at the time, Chris, I said, I think other people want this. He's like, Mm. 
I don't think so. We have a great product company. They're not going to want this service company. I go, I think so. And I, in the car on the way to one of our vendors we were doing business with on the time for inventory, I said, I think we should go with it. Look, give me some names. And he gave me some awful names. Sorry, Chris. That's just the part of the story. I wrote about it. So it's in the book. <laughs> and I actually bought fully accountable on my lap for a dollar 99 and said, I think we're going to build this. And my entire board laughed at me and said it was never going to work. And here we are 10 years later. Wow, man. I mean, how people are dealing with a lot of problems. How do you know which problem to focus on in terms of starting a business? See, that's so interesting, right? We've all got a lot of problems that we're all facing right. as a human being. It's a human condition. Uh, it's it's kind of inborn. It's encoded into us to, to be problem solvers, problem identifiers, and then problem solvers. We're yeah. all dealing with multiple problems. How do you know what problem to focus on? Um, which, what's going to be the most lucrative or what's going to be the most impactful to the world? How, how do you look at that? You know, I, I, again, I think I keep intimating my faith's important to me. So I read like things like scripture and Proverbs and things that are speak to the soul. And, you know, one of them says, we all have desires of the heart Mm -hmm. we all have desires. Um, Early days, my desires were to make money. So I would, I would build businesses that made me a couple bucks in the short term, but then the business would, as soon as I either took my hand off of it or didn't pay attention to it at all, it would break or it wouldn't be worth anything. Mm. And I started to realize that while I could do everything, there are certain desires of things that I want to do more than others. So now in my older guy age, my uncle Vinny advice is make sure it's somewhere close to desire because that's what leads to passion. Passion doesn't feed uh, uh, success. Desire leads to the passion in something. And so I'm going to put the work in every day into something that's hard if I actually generally like it. If my only goal was to make money, then that momentum or push to push through the hard things goes away pretty quickly. Now, what do you say to the person who says, well, the passion will come over time? Because there there have been studies and books written about um, not starting with your passion, but starting with what you're good at and then moving yeah. towards being passionate about afterwards. What do you say? Yeah, about- I totally agree with that, by the way. So desire to me is is not passion. Desire to me is a general interest. Passion is something so deep that Mm. no matter what you tell me, I'm not going to stop doing it. So Angela Duckworth wrote a great book on this called Grit. Mm. And I would encourage everyone to read Grit. And she talks about the most successful people that they did studies over actually have this trait of grit. What she does though is gives you some real advice as to where to apply that grit. And it's follow scripture. It starts with the desire of your heart. Find out what those desires are and then put some effort there. And then find out if that desire lines up in such a way that you want to keep doing it and help others. Because each of us have at least a gift, if not more than one gift that has been freely given to us. And so how can we help others with the gift that we have? That's where this desire plays in. And so I don't really want to be an auto mechanic, but there are people who do. I have zero desire to ever work on an engine. As a matter of fact, I don't even find joy in it, but there are people who do and thank goodness for those people for doing that. And so, but I do have an amazing grit and desire for helping people like understand how to like get along and cooperate and to do something together. I'm really quite good at it. Mm. And um, I put the work in it and I hear from people all the time. I don't even know how you can manage so many people. Why do you do that? Well, that immediately tells me they don't have the desire to have a bigger team. And so you got to start there. My passion is never a bigger team. My passion is, can I get enough people coordinated together such that we can help solve bigger problems? Right, man. What do you think that is? That 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 
natural drawing that we have to something that is beyond our control. I've thought a lot about this and it's, it's so fascinating to me. What is this, this inborn, it seems inborn, um, drive towards something? We each have something to, for one, it's a mechanic, for others, it's uh, being a doctor, lawyer, et cetera. Um, what do you think that is? That's that part of that. So I'll be fair. So as a man of faith, I really believe in an intelligent creator. I think yeah. this old playbook we live within the world is intelligently designed. Yeah. I'm sorry for you. Follow along with me for you listeners who don't believe in intelligent design, but I do. And I believe that every person has been given some gifts. And I think the core function of every mm. human is to use those gifts to help solve the problems of God's children. And if that's true, then there's things we should do. We should be amazing at being a doctor. We should be amazing at being a direct response copywriter. We should be amazing at, like there's something, the art of being a professional because of automation is being diluted and it's noisy that like everyone can be mediocre and the path is narrow and only so many will travel it. Professionalism is going to allow people to excel the, the point about professionalism is to do our best to with the gifts we have is to solve the needs of other people. And in some cases, you get paid a bunch for that. In other cases, you get recognition. In other cases, you get a thing. It's the biggest gift of it all, peace and joy. And mm. so we are really mandated to help others. And if for people who just want to disappear and live amongst life, okay, but that's going to run the challenge that's against the, what we're directly opposed to, which is I think we're built to help each other. Right. It goes back to what Einstein said is, what are we here for? For other people only. That's the words that he used. Uh, I mean, you know, according to folklore. And it's like, there's something to that. Now, what do you think that is? You think it's the soul that's speaking? You think it's God speaking through you? It's the, the mission that you were came, came here to, to, to solve? What, what do you think? Well, I walk around the mountain right. and I walk up and down the wrong hills. And I, yeah, you, know, right. left my, you know, it, a man's way left to his own device. He thinks in the way leads to something. And in the end, it doesn't lead to that. And I have to struggle wow. with my battle to an intelligent design versus my own decisions. And I've walked around right. or across or through the mountain multiple times and have to learn the lesson the hard way. But in my core imprinting, I get... You know, they've, there's tons of studies out there. You can buy YouTube, the one on happiness, where they studied people for 75 years. And wow. the most happy people are in community helping other people. Yes. And I, it's just imprinted on us. And so every bit of success I've had that comes in that doesn't look like, Vinny, you're amazing, but it looks like, Vinny, thank you for the help. I always find more fulfillment. Now, what do you say to the person who doesn't have that passion identified yet? Uh, go try, go find out some of your desires, go be around. So here's an exercise I do with people in my life. Go radically ask some people like what, what's their first impression of you? What is it? And find out what it is. Like get an answer, be willing to listen because yeah. everybody has a gift or more than one. And what do you hear about some of that? And are you investing those gifts in such a way that it's going to help other people? And what mm. are you, what do you find interest in? Like go do some of those things that are interesting. You hear people say like, I, you know, I find what you love to do and you won't work a day in your life. That's a bunch of BS. Like yeah. times are hard when a partnership breaks up or somebody mm. dies or you get money stolen from you. Those are bad days. Like right. there are works hard. Like there's toil is, is, is it requires effort, but there's also something amazingly satisfying to um, help make something a little bit better for the next person. 
Now, where do you see this? Everyone does that in different ways. That's why we should stop knocking the person who takes movie tickets or the Walmart person. Everyone is in a lane. And and, and, uh, and my grandma used to say when I was a kid, just because we're poor doesn't mean we have to be dirty. She, we mm-hmm. can wash, clean our home. And she just instilled in me this excellence about you can serve well. Everyone has an obligation. To, if you're a parent, you have an obligation to serve well as a parent, to help your children be socially adjusted so that they can help serve well in society. And I think it's generationally that should be the attitude of a productive citizen. Well, right, man. I mean, hell, you've said it. I think you said it very well. What do you think about the the way these tie together? Because we've got marketing on one hand we've got service on the other as if they're different yep. i look at them as as being solely as one they're very unified in my mindset yeah that we know um because i lead with value with my marketing and so there's there's always value first in terms of however i'm marketing anything the same with you how you're giving away things on your website getting email addresses to give more how do you see that tying together with the with with god really with how you with the way the universe is structured um the the, the way the game is played how do you see that um, marketing and God coming together? Yeah, so for me, I think I like a couple of things, right? I'm going to stand before him in what I believe for myself. Yeah. And I have a massive life journey. If you've known me long enough, you've seen a massive overhaul in my life about coming to a relationship in Christ. And so I'm so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And so anyone who ever wants to hear about that, I'll be happy to talk about it. But what that's done for me is it's certain things. So, you know, I don't, look at Jesus as a good guy. I look at him as a great God. And so he has certain things in my life that are important. Like I'm going to one day stand before him and take an account of my life. Right. And so that should make me very concerned with what I'm choosing to do to live out my life. I also believe what I believe. And so since I do, I care so much about anyone I come in contact with to know that because like if all of it starts with that primary calling in my life, well, then I want that for them too, if I believe that. So that orders what I do. And so from there, everything else is just living out the complexities and pains of life. And so can I stop for two seconds and have a wonderful conversation with somebody? Can I say yes and take a little risk to meet a new friend on his podcast? Can I stop and have breakfast with a young man and and, and help him where he's struggling with like mm. whether or not he's going to cut his mom out of his life? Like, like what can we wow. do to give back a little bit and also give out an email and know that in return, if you're there's a proverb that says there's nothing more precious than a good name. And so a reputation is a nice thing to have. It just takes time to earn one. Right. I mean, look at Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a reputation, right? <laughs> right? And even yeah. the people who don't believe in him as Lord would say he's a good guy. True. Yeah. I don't, you don't hear people talking shit about Jesus. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of quacks out there who will say he does, he didn't exist, but for the most part, the intellectual society would at least believe in his existence. Right. You know, the general Muslim would love Jesus as a great prophet. You're probably right. No kidding. Yeah. Well, the Quran talks about him as a great prophet. So, you know, they, they think of Moses and Mary and Jesus in a very good gal, good guy sense. And so they just don't see him as Lord. That's where we're different on that, but I love them. And, and, and I, I serve a Muslim no different than I would serve a Christian. I love it, man. So you're looking at humanity as, as this is the way I look at it is that a song Imagine by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Um, the, oh, good, good song. It's my favorite, one of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, it's a good song. A beautiful song. And my favorite lyric in the song is the brotherhood of man um, mm. coming together. There's that, um, um, instead of the separation that you could look at it through the egoic sense, you're looking at it in terms of we're all one at the core of it. 
very fast. It's really good. I, you know, it's funny yeah. for me, I, something changed in business when I stopped looking at people as a project and more like them as people. Mm. What's the difference to you? I, because we're more than just the transaction we're going to close. Yeah. We're more than just the show we're doing. Like, you know, if we can leave this and some of the fruits of truth just are impressed upon you such that you will go explore mm. the, the truth of eternity, then the rest of it's all just uh, a little bit of a scorecard. But for me, if I really believe in what I do, then my primary obligation is to go make disciples. And now it's a fancy church term, and I don't want people to get shut down, but gosh, I, I'm so thankful to have been someone gifted with that. So I get to go work really hard and do all these wonderful things and get caught up in all the anxieties of life. For what? For something so much bigger than me and i mm. that's super cool and so because of that i've learned to enjoy simpler things like i'm really thankful for a marriage that's coming up on 30 years i got wow. four beautiful children i've got a an office filled with people who are wondering what i do now because i'm no longer their ceo like uh and i've got the burdens of life like everybody else man yeah, you're a family guy. Eh? I love that about you, dude. Seriously. And it's the first thing written on your about you page on your website is your father and you've got four children and you named yep. the children, which is, uh, it says a lot. Um, what do you think about giving up control? Where does that come in? Because, well, you know, back on the naming of the children, I would have went with one, two, three, four, but Debbie felt this need to name them. So <laughs> I, said she named them, I use their names. Um, but what's your question? <laughs> um, my question was, now I forget the question. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so um, good. Man, I love it. Um, the question was giving up control. How do you how, how do you trust that God will will you know make things work out for you? And because I find yeah, I the just, more I try to grip onto the control, the, the worse things get. If I go with the flow, Wu Wei, uh, there's a term for it, uh, giving up that control and trusting in God. Uh, you know, but it's it's so super hard, Kyle. Too. I, I believe that I believe I serve a God that loves everyone. And I also believe that really bad things happen to people. And so somewhere in the way I had to learn to trust in that gap, that his ways are not my ways. And I don't understand all of that. And so since that's my core belief, I try my best every day to trust in that. And so when I give up control in business, it's because I believe in that. But two, I also believe that I'm going to pay the debt that all men pay. I'm going to die. And if I really care about our organization, I think that, you know, scripture talks about the age of 50 and we don't in North America want to celebrate that. But I watched it in Asia. We talked about earlier, they start to embrace the handoff. And so this intergenerational attitude of like equip the next generation to carry the mantle of life is what I'm trying to live. It's super hard. I'm at the peak of my earning. I'm at the peak of my net worth. I'm at the peak of my influence. And I hand the ball off. Stupid hard. You can see why professionals take too long to retire because they don't want to be out of the light. It's it's a fair struggle. I, I don't suddenly want to be the guy that everyone's like, oh, I remember him. I, mm. No one wants to feel like that. It's super mm. hard. But like, if I can try to get bigger, if I can try to be more intergenerational, then like now I, I might be able to run the race of legacy. So when I stand before the Lord, he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Wow, man, that was super deep. And the intergenerational viewpoint is incredible to me because I look at that in terms of business, the impact that we're making as a company, the same with you. I mean, you're not just impacting one person, you're impacting their children who will impact their children's children because of what you did for them. So you're not yeah. just helping one generation, you're go you're going through the generations with that legacy play that you're talking about. Yep. Man. Yeah. See, I, I get so that's why I'm all about multiplication because like at the core of me, I know that me times one times something is still going to be a small number, but something more than one times something more than one is always mm -hmm. going to out pull that's why i like someone else's audience like that's why i like yeah. more people like that's why i build leaders because more them doing something at 70 percent is better than me doing everything at 100 percent. Mm. wow man yeah no kidding uh what's a question that i'm not asking but should be asking i always like to ask this question because it's a it's a meta question so what's a question that i would ask that would withdraw the the greatest value for the listener if i were to ask you know right now i'm in a season of um I just, uh, just told a friend this yesterday. First, you're the second person. My wife hasn't even heard this yet. And so hopefully she'll hear it before she hears it on your show. But here's what um, I said to my friend um, Nate yesterday. Uh, I'm in a season right now where I'm learning something different about a desert. A desert is a dry, in some cases, lonely place. Not many people live in it. It's a hard place to be. You don't have a lot of answers. You're just trying to survive. And I've been in this desert of transition. And one of the things that can be tricky about a desert um, uh, is a great book I read on specifically what I'm about to say is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. And he wrote about a term in his time in a concentration camp. And if, if you like to do self-work, anyone listening, read that book. Because what Victor talked about there is the enemy of optimism. And so optimism looks like this. It looks like you believe in some external hope that you have no control over and mm -hmm. it might not even be reality. And so in concentration camps, he studied men and they would put their hope in like Christmas day. When Christmas day comes, the war is going to end. And then the war didn't end and they didn't get out. And the next day they die because they gave up all hope yeah. because they had optimism, not reality. Mm -hmm. So I noticed this recently myself in the desert that I was wanting it to end, or I was wanting to get to the other side of the desert. And so because I didn't get there, I was starting to feel discouraged that now in embracing the endurance of it, I'm starting to recognize delivery through it as opposed to hoping that it's done. And so one looks like an optimism around a false reality and the other one's accepting the reality of where you are. So I've had three of my four children move out of my home in the last four months. I'm When I walk into a room now, I'm officially the old guy that's got some wisdom. Um, I, I'm starting to realize that the 38-year-old game is the 38-year-old games, not the 53-year-old. So I'm the elder who brings a lot of other toys to the table and wisdom. Uh, and so going through that journey, uh, I've been slow to make that transition. And I'm really thankful for anyone needing to hear this about the journey in the desert. Uh, I, I don't want to minimize it. That's hard. Uh, but it is a real journey. And endurance is the payoff, not avoidance. Mm, and it goes back to that persistence, that tenacity, that grit that's necessary as an entrepreneur.
Vin, dude, thank you so much for being here, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. We talked about some absolute deep things today, didn't we? Wow. Uh, but I can tell you, you're guaranteed you are surrounded by close friends and people in your life who talk like this because you talk like this. And so I, thank you, because we don't go here if you didn't go here. So thank you for uh, wanting that. And that means that the people who are listening to your stuff are hearing eternal things, things that actually go deeper than whether or not I can get you 10 more percent on your email. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to go as deep as I possibly can in these hours, man. Hey, props on you for noticing that, dude. Thank you so much for being here, man. Wow. All right. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. And if you want to get a free copy of my book, go to kylesbook.com and you can get a copy there. I'll talk with you soon.